0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. So we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're We're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 5. And if you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word, that would be great. We're going to be looking... At verse 21, the words will be on the screen. I said this last week. We got more uh, Bibles for the chairs that are under the chairs. If you do not have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. So please take one of those home with you. That's our gift uh, to you. We are looking at Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge uh, to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's, um, you may be seated. Let's. So we're getting into, not that the, the Beatitudes are not practical, but we're getting into the pra- practical application of, of uh, the, the Beatitudes. If you have not had the opportunity to, to be here during that part of the sermon series, I'd encourage you to go online, uh, check out the sermon manuscripts that are online. You can uh, subscribe to the sermon podcast. But uh, but this is a, kind of the application. This is this is okay. This is this. so what. This is what difference does this make in your life? And if there was any scripture, section of Scripture that, I, that is relevant for today, I can think of no other passage like this one, dealing with anger. I, I don't know about you, but our nation seems pretty angry, doesn't it? And uh, people in general seem pretty angry uh, the tolerance for, for you know for for others, patience, just seems uh, very very low. And when I started this sermon series, I showed you a a uh, diagram uh, by Jim Belcher, who in his book Cold Civil War. I'm not going to go through all the details again. I just was thinking about this uh, this past week, and I was thinking about uh, these these four quadrants and. What I mentioned to you when I showed this diagram is that Belcher you know, suggests that there was a vital center that our nation pretty much agreed with, and you, know, you had your different four quadrants. You know, in the category of one, and, uh, and the more extreme you get, the more further out you find yourself. You know, order left that there's you know truth is relative, or, or no freedom left. Truth is relative. Order left, you know. I don't have to go through the whole thing. Um, you can connect the dots. Order, order left would be your standard fair Democrat. Uh, order right would be your standard, you know, Republican. Um, you have know, freedom right. But what we're finding is is that the, the people are being drawn further and further out, and, and, and there are these extreme views of these different four quadrants. Uh, for I said at the beginning of the sermon series, I think some of you there were some who probably were a little agitated when I said this, but but most of Meadowbrook is probably here. Wyoming is is here and somewhere between two and three, not Meadowbrook per se, but Wyoming in general. And and here's the thing. This is all I wanted to say, this is all I want to say. This is why I think this passage is relevant to what we're experiencing. The further further out you move from the vital center. The more angry you become. Right? And so, and and I said in the sermon series, I think the reason I I think the need for the Sermon of the Mount, for us to just dive into it and unpack it together, is is critical for us, not just Metabrook, but for the church at, at large. That that I I would say that, and I said this at the beginning, I'm not I'm not very optimistic about America going back to what Jim Belcher's hoping will happen. I do believe and agree with Jim Belcher that the church has a voice that speaks into this. But what is happening is that Christians find themselves drawn, and I would say in evangelical circles, drawn you know, in, in these two quadrants, and uh, the further out you find yourself pulled, the less of the, the, the gospel or the Sermon on the Mount becomes your center. And so, Jesus says here, you have heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you. And he just unpacks this. And uh, that's what I want to turn our attention to. If you remember last week, he said, uh, we looked at verse 20. I ended the sermon, uh, last week's sermon, with verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I explained what that meant. You know, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees believed that they had it nailed down in terms of righteousness. And they didn't. And, we, and I showed you that last week. And we looked through the scriptures last week to, to unpack that. Uh, but the statement, if, if you don't understand what he's getting at here, it can be a little alarming, right? And, and the point that he's making is that you need a righteousness that's greater than the supposed righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. You need a righteousness outside yourself. You need my righteousness. That's 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 what he was saying here. And here's the interesting thing. And I'm, like this is another section of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is why I think, and others think that the, believe that the Sermon on the Mount is so, um, so perfect. It, it, is that there are six statements Jesus is going to make in light of verse 20. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He does that six times in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the first time that he does it here. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so the Pharisees believed, hey, as long as I don't murder somebody physically, then I, that's one commandment on the checklist you know, that I've, I can check off. I've got that nailed down. And Jesus said, well, yeah, it's good that you do not murder people, like physically murder people, but you don't even understand the the purpose of the Sixth Commandment is not just so that you would not commit first-degree murder. The purpose of of, of the Sixth Commandment is to show you just how ugly your heart is. I mean, how many of us have gotten angry with other people? I mean, we can be honest, right? How many of you have gotten angry with other people unjustly? Yes, right? Just get on the car, in the car, drive down I-25. <laughs> and then on the way back, come to, into Wyoming. But my complaint is, why do why, people in Wyoming, play, why do they drive so slow in the fast lane? For those of you who don't know, I'm originally from the East Coast. There is uh, the speed limit, which is for the slow lane. I won't say anymore. I'll get myself in trouble. So, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly shove. Um, but but so so Jesus unpacks what is murder like. What is what is the sixth commandment getting at? And so I'm going to answer that question: What is murder? And, and to to highlight that, remember what Jesus said earlier. He said, "I did not come, what, to abolish the law, but to fulfill it." He's unpacking the, the commandments here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not saying that the Christian is uh, you know, exempt from obeying the commandments. What he's saying is the commandments show us the character of God and show us what our heart really looks like and, show, and points us to our need for Jesus. And uh, the Pharisees and scribes, they rightfully taught, you need to obey the sixth commandment. In fact, most, most societies... And nations have laws in place to honor the Sixth Commandment. Do not murder. And, uh, and so Jesus said, it's, it's a good law. But there's so much more here. <laughs> it, it, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry, everyone who, who, uh, who, who says an unkind word, that demeans that person, or whoever, uh, who, whoever demeans the character and heart of a human being is guilty of murder. It, the, the point that Jesus is making here is this, that every human being reflects the image of God. And the reason why we have the sixth commandment is because it is evil to, to diminish or to destroy the, 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 the creature, the only creature on planet Earth that bears the image of the living God. And in case you're wondering, it's not your cat or your dog or your, your favorite pet, it's human beings, right? And, and we bear the image of the living God. And even it, God has written his, his law on the hearts of not just the Hebrew people, but he's written a law, his law on the hearts of pagan peoples. I, all my references are on the man, in the manuscript that will be on, um, on the website, but he's done that. This is why we have good laws. This is why Romans, you know, I believe, was chapter 12 and 13, or chapter 13 says, you know, obey the laws of the land. Government is, a, is used as a tool, is used as God's sword to, to, to execute justice. In, in many respects, the point of the command was to address not only the evil of murder, but, but the underlying cause of it. And what is the underlying cause of it? Anger. What is the underlying cause of it? Let's go a little deeper. Looking at another person and devaluing them. Think about that for a moment. Anytime you look at another person and say, in your heart, that person is less valuable than myself. Jesus says you're guilty of murder. I, I mean, I, and go back to the Beatitudes. How do you arrive at the cross? You're poor in spirit, empty hands. You're mourning over your sin. It's those who mourn. The meek are those who su- submit their will to the will of this great God who, whose image we bear. And before a person murders another human being, they have to do something. And what is that something? They have to lower the worth of the individual that they're about to murder. Right? And so uh, that's, what, that's the underlying cause to bring oneself to commit murder. Every murderer commits murder because they do not value the life of another. And this is why there's a whole debate about, about abortion. Is it, is it wrong There's is it right? And where do they start with that, with, with, with that dialogue or that argument or whatever? They start with, well, what is, what is the fetus? Is the fetus just a clump of cells or is the fetus a human life? Because if the fetus is a human life, then you got problems. So they've debated and they've kind of moved the line further and further, and further out as to what what a, a fetus is up to the point now where a fetus is a fetus until that fetus comes out of the birth canal and is breathing and screaming. Right? Uh, this is not a sermon on abortion. I'm just trying to help you understand it. There's this law that God's written in our hearts, and, and what we do as people, as a fallen people, as a, as, as, as a fallen race, is that we is that we bring God low. We ask the same question that the serpent asked Adam and Eve, did God really say? And we in the church can be guilty of some of the same things that the Pharisees and the scribes were guilty of, right? I don't murder anybody. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even beat anybody up. Like I, I, I'm a pretty good citizen. I'm keeping the sixth commandment doesn't matter what I say about the, uh, my you know, neighbor. doesn't matter what I think about the hostess. doesn't matter how I treat others, just as long as I don't bring bodily harm to them. You see? <laughs> the, Jesus is not concern, as much concerned about the exterior, like the Pharisees and the scribes, as he's concerned about matters of the heart. You know, so... Where does, where does murder come from? It flows out of the heart. It starts with the devaluing of a, of a human life. And Jesus said, there's so much more to it. The sixth commandment is really dealing with how you view another human being. Um, which leads to my second point, or my you know, second question, where does murder come from? You know, the Pharisees and the scribes, they identified a person's righteousness based on what they did or didn't do. And, and Jesus says later in, in the Gospel of Matthew and in other places in the Gospel that out of the heart the mouth speaks. So there, there is truth to that. There, the, the evidence of what's going on inside your heart or in, your, in the core of your being eventually sh- reveals itself in the way you carry yourself, in the way you behave, in the way you act, but, uh, but, but you can, like I, there's that phrase that somebody said to me that I just made me cringe, uh, you, you know, you can fake it till you make it, like that has no place in, in uh, Jesus's vocabulary. Um, he's concerned about what's going on in the heart. Has there been a heart transformation? Has there been a change? And what is, and, and, and how does that, sh- you know, reveal itself and show itself in and through your life? Uh, so Jesus unpacks this where, where, where does murder come from he, he, he goes on to say this in verse 22 but everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment whoever insults will, uh, his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire what, what does that mean is Jesus saying that there's three tears you know, three strikes and you're out Three levels of, of anger is, is, he, is he saying that here is he saying okay start with anger and then it, then you say some word you you, you call somebody stupid or dummy <laughs> and then it just it just elevates to the to where you you know br- demean that person's character and and uh, tell them that they're worthless and you know, is that is that what he's doing here no he he just wants. Us to see how serious our thoughts and our heart, the issues of the heart really are. So, whoever is angry, and then he goes on, he says, and whoever, uh, whoever insults, it's really interesting. The word insult, I don't know, some of your translations uh, will use a different word. The literal Greek word is, uh, I believe, raka, araka, I, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, it means stupid. It means, uh, it means uh, it, it basically, it's, it's condescending uh, in, in that you are, you are demeaning a person's intellect. That's what he's literally saying here. Whoever says that person's an idiot, I, I'm not saying this, Jesus is saying this. Like now, you're all quiet. <laughs> like, Like, oh, don't go there. (laughs) I don't have to. (laughs) You can already start to connect the dots. Um, Whoever says you're an idiot, you are a moron. You're a dummy. Is guilty of murder. But he doesn't even. He doesn't stop there. He goes on. And he says, uh, he uses another word. And it's it's weird. I, I don't know why. Every translation I've looked at translates it s- somewhere along the lines of "you f- you fool. but the but the word the Greek word is "more," and, and we get the word "moron" from it. And it's and it's not a, a, the, the Greek word is not addressing in the the area of the intellect. It's a word that is addressing the heart. A person's heart, a person's character. And Jesus says, that the, You know, you do that, then you're, you're liable to the hell of fire. It's the first time he uses the Greek word gehenna, where we get the word hell from here in, in, in the Gospels. And what is he saying? Is Jesus saying, You just can't be angry? You got to be like Yoda? I mean, you, how many of you have heard of Yoda, right? Okay, I got Yoda on here. You know, fear is the path to the dark side. I'm not going to do a Yoda voice. You guys will laugh at me. F- no, <laughs> if anybody can, that would be great. I just invited somebody. Somebody's going to do it. All right. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. That's Buddhist, by the way. That's Buddhism. Uh, that's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, when you read through the Gospels, you'll discover Jesus got angry. He got angry. Uh, but his anger never demeaned a, a, a human being, never brought them low. He expressed anger towards religious hypocrites. Uh, you can see that in Mark chapter 3. And even pronounced curses upon the Pharisees and scribes. Not bad words, but woe. It's a, it's a form of a curse. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And he like, gives a whole list of them, of those woes that he pronounced on the Pharisees. Jesus got angry. But his anger was, was, uh, was mingled with grief over the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. His, his anger was uh, the result of, of those who just refused to understand what he was saying. His anger was over fruitlessness, unbelief, and deliberate and unrepentant sin. It wasn't a, you, Jesus never thought, that person's an idiot. His anger was, you don't see it. You don't get it. In fact, not only do you not get it, you refuse to get it. You're so consumed by your pride. One theologian said, Jesus became angry for the sake of others. There's an anger that is loving, that wishes no one any evil. It loves the sinner while it hates the sin. That's the kind of anger Jesus demonstrated. There's a place for righteous anger in the church amongst God's people. Uh, there is no place for the kind of anger that Jesus is describing here in the Sermon on the Mount amongst his people. And, uh, and so there are passages in the Bible that talk about anger. And I think it help us understand this. There's a whole spectrum of passages you know, in, in, the, in the Bible Like in the Psalms, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Let's go to another one. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is is slow to anger, quiet's what? Contention. Let's go to the next one. Uh, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. And then if you're wondering, well, what about in the New Testament? Here's one. Let's read this together. Ready? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And one more. But now you must put them all away. We can read this together. (laughs) But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. That's in the Bible. That's the expectation that God has of, of, of his people. Yeah, and we know, like Jesus went through the temple when he found out that uh, when he saw that there were people who were profiting off of worship, he turned tables and chased out the the people who were benefiting from that. the The anger that Jesus warns about is a is the unrighteous anger. It is the anger that gives birth to insults that devalue a person and calls into question the soul of a person. And so that's the thing that he's talking about here. You know, and, and unlike myself where I can use careless words or I could, I could say things from the pulpit without thinking more carefully about what, I was, what I'm about to say, Jesus chose his words very carefully. And uh, don't sugarcoat what he says here. Don't sugarcoat when he, you know, when he says, when he says, you know, if um, you know, whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Don't sugarcoat that. Take it in, listen to it. Ask yourself, where am I, where am I at in this? What is it that I need to repent of? What, what sin do I, of anger do I need to turn from? What, who is it that I've offended or, or who has offended me that I need to go to and, and be reconciled with? Like Jesus goes on to say here, um, this is serious. This is so serious that it, it could land somebody in hell. Like just like anybody who was listening to the Sermon on the Mount that day, if they went off and murdered somebody, the, the the result would be they would be arrested. That's judgment. They would be brought before the council. That was the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court. They would be sentenced for their mur- you know due to the crime of their murder to uh, death by stoning, most likely. And then they would face another judgment before a holy God. And Jesus said, even, before you even get there, address the issue of the heart. I, I, here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, and the words will be on the screen. Let's read this together. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The Pharisees and the scribes were like, I look good on the outside, that's enough. Jesus said, no, it's not enough. And, and we do that in the church too. I look good on the outside, that's enough. And Jesus says, that is not enough. If you were one who arrived at the cross as one who's was poor, poor in spirit, empty hands, one who mourns over their sin uh, that drove them to the cross and one who who, uh, submitted himself or herself to the will of God by just getting over yourself. And you are hungering and thirsting for a righteousness that is outside yourself and can only be found in Jesus if he is your satisfaction and if he is your joy. It will be much easier to forgive people. So what do you do with anger? That's the third point. What do you do with it? Jesus tells us. He said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave the church and find another church. (laughs) Because that's what we do. I don't like that pastor. I'm going to the other church. I'll bring my baggage there. Or I don't like that person. When When he or she said to me, I'm going to another church. I'm just going to avoid it altogether. Jesus Jesus doesn't say that. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Don't show up Sunday. Show at their doorstep and say, brother or sister, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I've wronged you. I've sinned against you. I've offended you. Or go to that person and say, you know what? You said something to me that really hurt me. And I, I'm here because I love you and I, I want our relationship to be right. That's what he says. Don't come to church that Sunday. <laughs> Go to their doorstep. Take them out to coffee. Take them out to lunch. Invite them over. Whatever. Do whatever you can possible to be reconciled with that person. He doesn't even stop there. He goes on. He says, uh, but, you know, come to terms quickly with your accuser. Like if you, if you did something wrong, own up to it. I remember when I was in tech, uh, tech school. For carpentry. Did two weeks of vocational tech school and two weeks of high school that would alternate back when I was in high school. And, uh, and it was after I became a Christian and, and just just couldn't put the Bible down. And uh, I got to school and somebody, one of the bus drivers, reported a yellow Monte Carlo that blew through the, bu- the bus' stop sign you know, that comes out. And I was convinced it wasn't me. Like, wasn't me. So I, and I, I was a pretty good arguer. <laughs> so I, I was called down to the office and convinced them it wasn't me. I was really convinced it wasn't me. Uh, and then it dawned on me, it was me. And, and we had, at that time, it was during the Clinton uh, era, where we were that, that recession we were going through. And so we had adult students in with, the, with, with high school students. And there was this guy by the name of Al, not a Christian. Uh, when, when it dawned on me that I, I, it was me that blew the stop sign, I told my teacher, I said, I need to go back down and, and make this right. And I was like, what are you doing? That's stupid. Why would you do that? You got away with it. Who cares? Nobody cares. And I thought, well, God does. And I wasn't being righteous or self-righteous. I just really felt that. Jesus says, you know, if you wrong somebody, even somebody who's out, uh, somebody outside the church, make it right. If you if you stole from somebody unintentionally or intentionally, if you did something is in your past that you still not have re- that's still not reconciled over, go and make it right. That's the point here. He says, "Why? Because because the follower of Jesus is not only concerned about uh, harming others. You don't want to harm others, but physically, but you don't want to bring harm to others spiritually or emotionally." or mentally. Why? Because every single person that you encounter is created in the image of God. Regardless of their political views, regardless of whatever sin they find themselves in, they bear the image of the living God. And if we're going to be pro-life, that means we need to be pro-life with all of it. And that's what Jesus is addressing here, I believe. Um, he said, in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you. What? That you love one another. How, is that really new? No, he's saying that you die for one another. That you are willing to go to the cross for one another. Metaphorically and physically. Because he says, look, a new command I give you that you love one another. What does that love look like? The love that Jesus demonstrated? What kind of love did Jesus demonstrate? Well, let's start with the virgin birth. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He became like us, born of a virgin, so a human being, fully God, but also fully human. He hungered, he thirsted, he experienced all those things. He got tired. He, he got in the dirt with us to live a life that we could never live. And then what did he do? He identified with our sin and he went to a cross on our behalf. That's the new commandment that he's giving us. Not just to pay lip service to, you know, loving your neighbor as you love yourself, but to love as Jesus loved us. You, are, you also are to love one another. By this, what? All people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So we're forced as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Who is it? Who is it that you need to ask for, for forgiveness from? Who is it that you need to go to who's offended you? Don't leave a church just because somebody ticked you off or upset you. Make it right. Why? The whole, because the whole world is watching. And they'll know that we belong to Jesus by the love that we demonstrate and that we have for one another. You know, like it's as if Jesus is saying, for the sake of love and the good of my kingdom, love one another. And do not withhold that love from those who make you angry. Because people are watching. Now, I'm coming to an end here. Is the, is the commandment, is the sixth commandment, because we could stop there and you're all comfortable and you're like, okay, I can, I, I can do that. I can love my brother and my sister in Christ a, a little better. I can, I can ask for, for their forgiveness. I, can, I, I think I can do that. I can do that. Here's the question. To whom does the sixth commandment apply? Just to the people of God? You can answer. Everyone. It's universal. The prohibition to commit first-degree murder is universal. Or second-degree murder, you know, go down the line. Just as the prohibition that Jesus gives us here is universal for his people. So that person that doesn't line up with you politically, do you have any right to be angry with them? You can be angry over the politics. You can be angry over the immorality. I just saw a friend of mine who just... uh, his wife picked up a, a children's book uh, because she likes dogs and uh, picked up the book and opened the book to, re- to read this book, this children's book, to their child and the, the book was about uh, a dog who had two dads. Like You can be angry over that stuff. There's a righteous anger but the person who wrote it doesn't know Jesus. Or our president. (laughs) That's why Let's Go Brandon should have no place in the vocabulary of the follower of Jesus. I pray for the guy. I don't think he's a believer. Absolutely not. I absolutely do not believe he's a believer. I think he needs Jesus and so much more help uh, beyond that. The policies that he's, that he's brought into you know, his administration in our country, I, I grieve over. And, I, and I've grieved over several you know, past administrations as well. I grieve over it. I pray over it. Some of the policies make me really angry. I was angry uh, this, this week also, but uh, angry over just kind of where all this is leading. But that man in the White House, our president, needs Jesus. And we need to pray for him. And 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 your neighbor needs Jesus, and the place, uh, the your 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 boss needs Jesus, or you know your 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 family members need Jesus, and just because they don't line up with you does not give you a right to demean them and to bring their value lower than you. That is pride, and that is arrogance. And the Christian that led you to the cross was was just the recognition that you have no righteousness and of yourself. To bring to, the, to, to God's table, table, you need a righteousness that only God could provide for you. And he did through Jesus Christ. That's what led you to the cross. Empty hands. You knew that. You, you came to terms with that cognitively. And then emotionally, you recognize you're a sinner in need of God's grace and his mercy. Because uh, what you deserved and what I deserve is hell. And so you arrived at the cross pleading for the mercy of God that was available to you through Jesus Christ. And what brought you to the cross was that you had to get over your pride and your arrogance in the first place, and so you surrendered your will to the will of this God who loved you so much that he gave his one and only son to die for you in your place. And, and, and you, you believe in that, you receive that, and you are a Christian as a result. You are a follower of Jesus. You are a child of the God of all creation. And, and the ethics uh, the, that he calls you to, the politics if you want to call it that, that he calls you to is, is otherworldly. It is, it is not Republican. It is not Democrat. It is the kingdom of God. And that's who we represent. Amen? I found this on the web. And I guess that's Siri saying amen. Uh, <laughs> and if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would uh, encourage you, plead with you. Uh, don't Why wait? Why, why wait? God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He validated that when Jesus rose from the grave. And uh, I would encourage you before you leave here today to give your life to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you've done in and through us and what you're doing. And God, we want to be the people you are calling and molding us to be. We are salt. We are light in a world that is dark and rotten. And there are people, many, many people who do not know you because they do not know your son. And they behave, and they act accordingly. You have called us that wherever we go, we dispel the darkness because of who we represent. You have called us that wherever we go, we are the preservative that keeps our world from rotting in a more, in a more rapid fashion. God, may, we, when people see us, may they see your character through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.